This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm sitting in my home with the other person who lives in my home and is the other person on this podcast. It's Sarah Scrimshaw. Hello. All right. How are you? (laughs) Did you remember? You know, no. (laughs) (laughs) If for some reason people are listening uh, for the first time in recent months, uh, I can't stop myself. I automatically ask, how are you, as the first, you know, intensive interview question, and it keeps taking Sarah by surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Because this is just um, apparently a world where I come in and just don't... I don't know how, why. Well, it's how weird, or why. It's a I weird thing. That one. Yeah. It's a weird. How are you is always a difficult question, but also as we are living right now, uh, every once in a while you have to go to work and you're very, you know, it's very safe and all that. But for the most part, uh, we uh, are here at home and then we're like, well, it's time to do a podcast. We've been, you know, talking and eating and living our lives. And then we sit down and like, how are you? That's kind of like a weird thing <laughs> to do. Yeah. Yeah, there is. And there's, there's just, there's, I think at this point we are now, what it's November, so we're now Math eight months, months in, into yeah. you know caveat upon caveat upon other caveats that have happened this year, and I just um, I'm going to go with um, at the risk of sharing too much. You're not well. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, uh, I am in this exact moment uh, having uh, it happy. <laughs> Because <laughs> I you didn't want to say that. <laughs> well, no. So here's the thing is, you know this, but I'm going to share this. We put up our Christmas tree yesterday. Yes, we did. And this is the person and the tris- the the Christmas tree. Uh, the Christmas <laughs> tree. I, I don't like that holiday as a yeah, married person. The no, Christmas. No, that's not even what I meant. Uh, the Christmas tree is behind you as we record, which means I have a lovely view of the Christmas tree. And this is the first time where I've had that view while we're recording. So it's like, oh. Well, that's lovely. I get to see sparkly lights. Yeah, it's nice. I can see them just barely dancing in the reflection of the table. So I get to see the reflection of the happy lights. And that's <laughs> happiness, too. How are you? I'm fine. I'm just fine. <laughs> like Lisa says in The Sound of Music. I, I'm going to keep quoting her. Uh, no, I am I'm in a good mood. We've had a nice uh, holiday break, and we've had a nice experience. Watching the show that we're going to talk about uh, mm-hmm. has honestly really helped my mood. Uh, we've done a lot of different topics. We're going to keep doing lots of different topics, everything from kind of big, important things that affect the world and then stuff we like. Um, and I, I, I'm not a stone cold expert on this show by any means. I've only watched it once, but obsessed, I think is a, is a good description of how I feel about it. We're going to talk about the television show Shit's Creek. I'm very excited to dig in. Uh, Sarah, if you were asked to summarize this show, like I am asking you to now, <laughs> how might you summarize it? Uh, well, I might say that it is um, a comedy television TV show <laughs> um, about a family that is used to a very um, high rolling style of living who unexpectedly loses everything and has to move to a very small town am in a motel and we see what happens from there both with the family and with the residents of this uh small town that's great that's practically the wikipedia entry I mean, nailed it i am practically wikipedia <laughs> uh that would be a great website practically wikipedia it's like <laughs> no sources just uh, writing stuff from memory no one else to check it uh, terrifying um, 
I think that is a great summary. It does not need much else. I, I think uh, for me, just kind of putting it in cultural context, it's a Canadian TV show that was, you know, had a partnership with uh, the network Pop TV, mm-hmm. which I was just reading on actual uh, Wikipedia. It used to be the, the, I think, the TV Guide channel. Oh, um, I didn't realize Pop that. Pop TV rebranded. Okay. Um, and it was one of the first, like, just serialized actual shows that they had on the network. So, I mean, it's definitely got some Canadian roots. Uh, Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara, uh, two of the stars, of uh, are from SCTV. That's how I knew them and from all the great Christopher Guest films over the years. So it had this sort of um, comedy legitimacy going into it of, like, these are living comedy legends mm-hmm. still in the prime of their life. Uh, and then all these other great characters. And uh, like a lot of shows these days when there's so much streaming going on, uh, it, it would it had some fans, but it blew up more in season three uh, when some new characters were introduced. But more importantly, when it uh, was on Netflix mm-hmm. and it got the Netflix bump yeah. where people discovered it and really liked it. And, uh, you know, if people aren't familiar with the show, it uh, had this record breaking thing of it swept the comedy Emmys it, like for its, its final season, mm-hmm. uh, sixth season. It won all of the comedy. Yeah. Period. which is just it was uh pretty uh amazing to see and i think that uh has that uh, generated a couple of think pieces that i enjoyed reading uh (laughs) it's some of them in my own head about what is that signal for the moment that we're in for comedy what is it about this show beyond its uh it, it had risen to being like a favorite and a critical darling um but it's and sometimes those shows in their last season get you know a lot of accolades because mm-hmm. it's the, the last chance. But to totally sweep like that, th- is there that question of, is this a movement in comedy? You know, is this a new direction? Will will people be trying to make, you know, things that are like, you know, Shit's Creek now <laughs> because right. of the, the pure success of Shit's Creek, which I think is, is really interesting. Um, what do you like and or love about Shit's Creek? Why do you like it? <laughs> Um, that's a really hard one to answer because it is, it, to me, it is more of a, a feeling and an experience than it is words, but I'm going to try. Yeah. Um, so I, I love the, just the sheer level and variety of comedy within it. Mm. Um, a lot of character derived comedy, which is, which I tend to like, but it's just like, the richness of the characters and the richness of the writing and the richness of the the delivery um, just kind of all come together to create just this amazing powerhouse of an experience. Um, yeah. yeah. So there. Okay. That's, so that's where I'll start. <laughs> very successful for you as a comedy. Mm-hmm. But then do you, are you also like moved by it? Oh, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just I find the story intriguing and and um, I have, you know, in my life lived in very large cities and lived in not that small of towns, but lived in small towns as well. So I I think there's something about that. Um, I, I, I don't think this is unique to me. I think this is why almost everybody that I follow on uh, social media this fall has been like, I'm just re- rewatching Shit's Creek over and over again. <laughs> like that's all anybody is doing um, as their break from election news. Um, but I feel like that kind of that push pull, you know, it's kind of like the com- of like that idea of like compression release of the big city versus small town and kind of. You know, yes, there's characters, and that's often I feel like you're like yes, a quirky small town character, and yet it's just got magic to it. 
Yeah. I, I just, that's where I, that's where I stop having words uh, for it. And, but I'm absolutely invested. Um, we watched all the way through it. So there, there will be spoilers. Uh, and I will include spoilers that at more than one occasion during the show, my face became wet from tears coming out of my eyes. <laughs> a personal spoiler. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think you said a lot of great things. I think, yeah, it's a great formula of, the fish out of water, right, of the extremely hyper-wealthy people. And this very, uh, and because it is both the the father, the mother, and then, you know, the two children, mm-hmm. it's very generational in a real-world comedy way because there's, you know, perspectives from Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara of, like, we are comedy veterans. This is our kind of perspective and our style of comedy. And then, you know, Dan Levy and Annie Murphy as, uh, as uh, uh, David and Alexis Rose mm-hmm. uh, having a little bit of a younger energy and different perspective. So you get that sort of generational comedy perspective. You get that generational uh, perspective of being urban and world-traveled and being wealthy. Um Mm-hmm. But then that's also contrasted with uh, being from a small town and having, you know, a different perspective because you live in a small town. And some of the characters in the small town are like, I've never I haven't left at all. They don't want to leave. Everything yeah. I have is right here. And other characters that really want to go outside of the big world into the you know big city world and some characters who are incredibly impressed by the worldly things the roses have done and other people like great, that's your fancy world out there, I don't care. So I think because it it, it is a fish-out-of-water story, mm-hmm. but it, I think it really successfully gets to humanity because it, it takes some, you live in a small town zings, and it takes some, like, you are wealthy and out-of-touch zings, and it takes some, like, great, like, David really wants to go back to New York, but then when he, you know, processes his trauma, he realizes... Everyone in New York has always been cruel to me, <laughs> and I love the world, but I don't love what I experience. It. It's just uh, it, it is humanizing because I think what it does is it, it manages in its comedy to get to score a lot of just jokes mm-hmm. off of being a New York fashion person and off of being a I run a garage in a tiny town and I've never left. It scores surface level jokes off of those perspectives, mm-hmm. but in a larger sense, just brings that sort of humanity of we're all very, very similar in our wants and our desires. We just process them through the world that we have grown up in or the world that we have chosen as our own. But like Bob the Mechanic doesn't want different things mm-hmm. really as a human than David Rose. Right. But the way those things are expressed are incredibly <laughs> different because of who they are. And I feel like the show manages to have, kind of have its cake and eat it too, that it has a lot of respect for just humanity. Yeah. And just for people, who, people have different perspectives, but differences doesn't mean that you can't still be friends with people. Differences don't mean that we aren't, you know, all very connected in, in our humanity, mm-hmm. while also just having a ton of fun with the differences that comedy arises from. Yeah, yeah. And if I can pull on one thing that you were just uh, speaking about, I feel like it does a a really good job of um, having a lot of the different characters feel fully fleshed out. Like, you know, you bring up like Bob the Mechanic. We don't know all the details, but we know enough. And it's not it's not a caricature of who would Bob the Mechanic in a small town be. We know who Bob the Mechanic is. Like you, I feel like the character development is not limited to, um, 
you know, some of the main characters and certainly some of them are, are over the top, but in beautiful, beautiful, like real ways for how they're written. But I feel like the, the richness and depth of the characters, it's like a complicated tapestry that they're all part of it. You can't just take the central characters out yeah. Because you need those threads of the other characters as well. Yeah. And there are a lot of great beats where when you think that a character is being really successfully sort of uh, pigeonholed into like you make this kind of dish that's ridiculous and embarrassing because you're this kind of person. then suddenly there'll be something that drops in that episode of like, yeah, but I've experienced this or I think this. Mm-hmm. And it, and I'm not this. This is not this is only the tip of the iceberg of who I am. Yeah. And the show is really good at doling those out at exactly the right moments to make it so like. Yeah, they're not this cast of characters that's, it's the town rube, it's the town, you know, cool guy or whatever that manages to make them all real, real human. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I just think, um, t- to me, to my perspective, this show is just incredibly well written um, and well delivered. Yeah, so no, I agree. I, I feel like that's also part of part of what drew, I think, both of us in. Yeah, yeah, for me, totally. Uh, I, I'll try to keep my what I love about it short because <laughs> we want to talk about some other things okay well uh, the big picture my big yeah. picture loves uh, a lot of what you're saying i think what I, I really love about it as a comedy is that every single episode has two or three lines that really make me laugh out loud and in a way that i don't always laugh out loud sometimes when i watch comedy mm-hmm. like i think my family thought there was actually something wrong with me because we would watch cheers every night at 10 30 and I think I was, long before I was even interested in comedy or knew that that would be a part of my life, I think I was just sort of studying it. And I yeah. didn't laugh out loud. And, <laughs> you know, comedies don't always make me laugh out loud because I think I'm just sort of dissecting them. There's always something in, in Schitt's Creek that makes me laugh out loud. Mm-hmm. I And I think that is because so much of the comedy comes from small moments. And sometimes they're incredibly well-written little laugh lines, little zingers. And other times they're just so much of the comedy comes from letting the actors make choices. This is one of the, for me, a few examples of being incredibly successful in, we're going to do a long running show, six seasons. The characters are going to be real when it absolutely matters. And you're going to believe who they are, why they care about what they care about. You're going to care about what they care about, but also on the surface comedy level, they're sketch comedy characters and they make it work particularly a lot, a lot of the characters, but particularly the Rose family. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, I think a lot of the comedy would come from just, you know, a, a facial gesture from David or uh, Alexis doing a weird hand thing mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, Moira Rose, Catherine O'Hara throwing out an, another new word that is pronounced in an unimaginable way, you know? And they're very, very, uh, they surprise you because they get you entirely out of the rhythm of, Oh, I know where this scene is going. Here's here's what's that tension in it. And of course, David's going to do this. And mm-hmm. he does. And it's funny, but it's just sort of pleasant funny. And then some there'll be some little choice that's just boom, explosive because it's so surprising, successfully mm-hmm. surprising, which is what you need for comedy. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, the things that make me laugh are like really explosive and surprising little choices. And then the other half, I, I just kind of like that it's a comedy that isn't sweaty about having a million laughs. Like they will let some scenes just be there's we know there's tension and we know that it's, you know, kind of lightly amusing, a lightly amusing misunderstanding that kind of draws out this character. 
and they just kind of have the confidence and the patience to not be like, but we haven't had eight zingers. And I think because of the the history of of sitcoms, you know, having live audiences a lot of the time, that there is that uh, that this history of you have to have a laugh line. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can get to more deeper and more nuanced comedy if you don't need a big, broad, make a hundred people in the live studio audience laugh every three minutes, not even, you know, faster than that, if possible, every minute, you can do some more nuanced stuff. And I just love that the show kind of has this patience mm-hmm. of that there's going to be some huge laughs. And then sometimes it's just light and pleasant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that would be one of the other big things for me is I think shows that I really get obsessed about are because they set such a tone and such a mood that you can disappear inside them. Mm-hmm. Like I think Cheers, that was the magic of it to me of like, I really felt like I was at that bar and I can go to that bar and be in that world. Uh, Twin Peaks is you disappear into that world. Gilmore Girls is you feel like you live in Stars Hollow. And Shit's Creek is one of those, like you feel like, I just want to be in Shit's Creek. Like, yes, I'm watching the show. Yes, I can analyze the structure and the comedy and the character choices. But I just want to be in Schitt's Creek, mm-hmm. the town, <laughs> yeah. you know, for a little while with these characters. And it's really, really uh, great at doing that. My, my last big picture thing that I wanted to be sure to say is I think one of the huge things about this show is, you know, uh, it's very uh, different than The Good Place. Uh, but The Good Place is also a comedy. And, and I think this is part of the kind of new movement that people are maybe talking about is, to, to put it nicely would, or simply, would just say nice comedies. Where, yeah, there's jokes, <laughs> but then good things, ha- you care about the characters, They're, the characters are trying to become better people. It's a huge part of the Schitt's Creek arc is that they start off really selfish, the Roses, mm-hmm. and they become, they are aware, just like in Good Place, they have epiphanies that we, the audience, get to see of like, wait, I don't want to be this awful. I want to be better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and nice is, is a simple way to put it. But the way that I like to think about it is comedy by its nature can be destructive. The easiest path to comedy is set something up and knock it down. Comedy is sort of violent in its nature. It's all of our language about comedy is violent. You know, thing, we, we break things, we crack things <laughs> in comedy. And, we, you know, the, the surprise, the shock, you know, uh, uh, is what really makes us laugh. Even laughing is, you know, a strange, loud, aggressive thing <laughs> that our bodies do that we only partially understand. Mm-hmm. There's a lot about comedy that is violent and destructive. Mm-hmm. But to me, the ultimate goal of comedy is to spread joy, which is a nice thing and a constructive thing. And mm-hmm. I think shit's comedy, it, shit's comedy, shit's creek <laughs> <laughs> is comedy that really proves you you can do good comedy that is constructive mm. it is the jokes are there uh they, they take shots at different points of views in life uh take shots at different stereotypes uh but it is ultimately a show about characters becoming better because they choose to be growing closer to one another because they choose to try to grow closer to one another and it's all very constructive mm-hmm. and it's still funny as hell yeah that's yeah. beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I uh, will just underline everything that you've just said <laughs> with a little yes in the margin. Oh, Exclamation point. Thank you. Thank you. I like being underlined. That's nice. <laughs> yes. Um, I want to talk about, because I was, uh, when I was kind of doing my uh, research, uh, I act, it was funny because I was opening up uh, my 
uh, internet browser to do the Wookie, Wikipedia, too much Star Wars, Wikipedia mm-hmm. on Schitt's Creek. And I came across a Twitter thread of people talking about it because it's been recommended so much during our little pandemic of this is the show you should watch. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are having a hard time getting into it because the first season is a little tonally different. Uh, Chris Elliott's character, Roland Shit, the mayor of the town, mm. is you know, a different kind of comedy archetype, especially in that first season. There's some just like straight up gross out humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, Chris Elliott is a master <laughs> of the socially awkward cringe comedy of he is the master of, oh, did you think that this was awkward? Then I will turn it to 11 and then I will turn the dial that is on at 11 to 11 like that. It, that's the point. Yeah. And I think because it is the beginning of the Rose's journey where they have just lost all their money, just been dumped into this small town that they think is incredibly beneath them mm-hmm. and are desperate to get out. They're not, it, to some people's minds, as likable because it's the beginning of their journey. So mm-hmm. I, there's been a lot of discussion about should you just skip season one and start on season two? Oh, my gosh. Or should you start at season two, watch the whole thing and then go back to season one and you'll enjoy it more because now you see the beginning of their journey. Uh, because there's a bunch of people who like go like, why do people say that this is a lovely, you know, just a soul fulfilling, <laughs> heartfelt, <Kind>. constructive comedy? <laughs> it's just it's some gross out humor with Chris Elliott and a bunch of assholes who are just crapping on a small town. Uh, you seem shocked by that. I wanted to ask your feelings about uh Season one. No, no, I, no. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry for my outburst. Uh, <laughs> I was shocked about the just skip season one and start with season two. No, I, that was actually how I was first when I, um, a few friends of ours had specifically recommended, I think around the time when it was on Netflix. So maybe we watched it, I think by the time like season four was out or maybe yeah. season three. But um, a few months before we had watched it, a, fr- a few friends had recommended it and said, you know, season one, just hang on and get to season two. Um, you know, if season one feels isn't doesn't feel like it's quite gelled, it all gels in season two and it's worth it. Hang in there. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really have that. I mean, I think I had faith with where it was going. I didn't have that strong of a reaction to season one. And also because people whose opinion I greatly value were like, no, trust me, you need to see this show. And I think um, we both, you and I, felt like there were uh, a lot of positives in season one as well. Uh, and by positives, I mean moments to laugh loudly out loud over <laughs> and over and over and over again. Um, so it's interesting. This is this is a little bit how I am, but I found that very interesting that people are recommending that people start with season two, go through season six, and then go back to season one. Because I do, having finished it, have a little bit of like, but I want to go back. I want to see how they started. Like, I just need to see those first two episodes or three episodes or something just to kind of like, what is the full circle? Like, I need to make it a circle. Yeah. Um, So I do have a little bit of need (laughs) for that. You need to close the Schitt's Creek loop in your (laughs) soul. That's right. That's right. It's a long horseshoe to go all the way back. Um, So I find that fascinating. I just, I made the the breath of uh, shock because, (laughs) because I feel like so much character work is set up in season one. Um, World building and, of the town. And world building. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just a little bit like uh, who I am and how I approach things. Yeah, some things you can maybe start in like season two or book two, but I feel like so much that um, the exactly the world building, like you just said, is just it's there. And whether or not you notice that it's seeping in, it's there. And I feel like especially with this journey, 
you need to see that initial reaction to get to the payoff of them starting to enjoy life in Schitt's Creek, whether they want to or not. Yeah. And I feel like without that initial exposure of season one, the the payoff doesn't have the payoff. Yeah. So anyway, that is my, I would say, uh, just watch all of it in order. <laughs> and then start over again. And it's just a loop. Now we're on a loop. We're on a treadmill. Yeah. From now on. Oh, the Schitt's Creek treadmill. Right? That sounds great. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting that Eugene Levy was the showrunner along with Dan Levy in the first season. Mm. Which makes sense because mm-hmm. I don't think Dan Levy had had a, a ton of experience. Yeah. Uh, and then Dan Levy took over. And uh, I think there is either some interviews, I, I honestly don't know, or some conjecture that for the first season, there was a little bit of like, we need to do those big swings and we need to go for those real traditional big laugh lines. Uh, it's And sometimes the best way to get those is from a little bit more headbutting comedy mm-hmm. of, you know, these two characters really, you know, and there is a lot in the first season that is. Uh, uh, Johnny Rose, you, Eugene Levy, mm-hmm. and Chris Elliott's uh, character Roland Shit, really in this battle. Yeah, but also in season one is what absolutely hooked me because, like, I, I like I like those characters. Uh, I like that style of comedy, but I was also like, well, let's see where it goes. Let's settle. The family did just get here. It would be not enjoyable if they were just like okay with it at first. That's, you know, <laughs> we love it. That's the engine of the comedy. Yeah. But then, to me, I was hooked in, I can't remember what episode in season one it is, where the first spark of connection uh, between David Rose and Stevie, Mm -hmm. the runner of the motel, Stevie Mm -hmm. is that archetype, but but still played with so much, you know, individuality and uniqueness of, I don't know what I want to be doing, but (laughs) I'm not sure about this. And to have... David, who is in some ways the loudest complainer, suddenly see someone and go, oh, you're going to be my lifeline in this town. It's like that. That's the start yeah. of everything. Yeah. That and, and then as the show goes on, David is the one who, who keeps trying first to make it work in the town. Mm-hmm. And, the, and his family gets inspired by him to, mm-hmm. you know, try to make it work a little bit more. So I feel like in season one, you get that hook. Absolutely. Uh, emotionally between the, the two. Yeah. Uh, between David and Stevie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, how did so? Uh, let me ask you about Chris Elliott because Chris Elliott is—he is like an olive salad that's uh, all made out of olives. And if you like olives, mm-hmm. you're you're gonna be so happy. And if you don't like olives, there's nothing there for you. <laughs> you know, like Chris Elliott <laughs> is a very acquired uh, taste, a very specific taste, and I, I like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how do you feel about Chris Elliott? Um. <laughs> Well, I like olives, so let's be clear first about yes, that. <laughs> very much so. I do not like olives, but right. I do like Chris Elliott. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think I'm so used to watching comedy that I really like a lot of and that I'm not usually a big fan of kind of the more cringe element of comedy, just not not so much my style. But I'm so used to it being there and just kind of accepting it as part of what's on the plate in order mm. to get to what I want. <laughs> so <laughs> that... a side dish you're happy to to get uh, to gobble up so you can get to the tofurkey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I so I think that's so um and I I will be, you know, totally honest here. It's it's been a while since we watched the first a uh, few seasons, I do not have, uh, in general, the type of memory that remembers no. like, oh, this is how it was in season one. So I'm going partially from my memories of 
specific plot threads then and partially going from how things evolved later on. Um, I would say that the character of Roland Shett, who is played by Chris Elliott, is, if I had to choose one of my least favorite characters, is one of my least favorite characters. But I so admire what he is doing and how he is doing it. Like, it is a magnificent performance. Yeah. And I think if it weren't such an amazing performance, I would not like that character at all. And I think I do like it and I do appreciate what it brings to the overall story and what his, um, you know, his, his comedy style brings to it, I feel like is part of the overall Schitt's Creek mix. Um, but it is not my, my personal favorite part of it. Yes. Okay. In, in order to continue our food analogies, it's like <laughs> Schitt's Creek is a trail mix and you, you just scoop it into your hand. And, and even if you don't want the pretzel stick, uh, it, you're, you're fine with the pretzel stick being a part of the trail mix. Yep. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yeah. I, I think I, I, I don't, I'm never big on gross out humor. And I think I, there's some dinner scene in the first season that's a little like, yes, okay, I get it. Gross. Yeah. That, that's not yeah. for me. There are a few that did go a little yeah. far for me. Um, but I, I just love that. This character somehow, Chris Elliott's style is to be a little bit meta and to be like, I'm not just playing a hick who has a mysteriously great partner and seems to be beloved by the town, even though there's nothing uh, on the surface immediately obviously great about me. Not only does he play that, he plays playing that. You know, there's there's levels to it that, that are really meta. And then I think he works in uh, my tortured trail mix metaphor because <laughs> he's one of the characters who's just like, I'm great. This town's great. You know, I I constantly give you crap, Johnny, but I'm also here for you. Mm-hmm. I, you know, like, yeah, yeah, I'm, you know, I make you do weird things for my truck and I, you know, I, to borrow my truck and I run you down and all that. But, well, I'm, we're friends, right? I'm, I'm here for you. I'm always here for you. Mm-hmm. And he is, he, I think, is one of the primary characters from the actual town, Schitt's Creek, embodies that, like, I'm not going to change. I am who I am, but I'm, but you're welcome here. And, yeah. I, and I'll try to understand you a little bit, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, favorite parts of the trail mix. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have favorite characters and why? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my That's gosh. A cool thing to ask about a show that you really like. I mean, so uh, the entire Rose family, <laughs> which has four characters. Uh, love them all. Um, also, Stevie, who you just mentioned, uh, is totally an MVP in my book. Tell me a little bit about why. What is it about Stevie that makes her an MVP for you? Um, I think her her balance with the roses. I feel like uh, continuing the food metaphor, <laughs> but going in a slightly different direction. If we're going with like um, a vinaigrette. You need both oil and vinegar. <laughs> and I feel like whichever one the roses are, she's the other. You know, take your point. Who Take your choice. Who's oil and who's vinegar? Yeah. And they, but they balance each other out. And I, I love the moment, the friendship with David, as you mentioned already. Um, I also love where it goes, her, um, her business relationship between her and uh, Johnny Rose, Eugene Levy's character. And just, I, I think, again, just that real, like, she has that acceptance of them and her own uncertainties and her own 
neuroses, but she also thinks they're weird, kind of tries to understand them, doesn't understand them, but she also accepts them. Yeah. And I think she also feels that way about the town. Like she is one of those people who like, I grew up here. I I know some of the good things. I know where to find a fun time on a Friday night or the, the, you know, the closest thing that I can, but also I kind of want to get out of here. I kind of love it. I kind of hate it. So in a way, she's a great audience avatar of like, I see how weird the roses are. I see how weird this town is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 That's great. All right. Other favorite characters for you. I mean, the Rose family. The Rose family. <laughs> I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna push harder. Okay. Which, which Rose family? When you just, when you close your eyes yeah. and and think of a rose, <laughs> which Rose do you think of? So, I, I think we'll get to one of, one of these later. So I'm gonna go a different direction. Uh, the children. Okay. We'll, we'll go to half. So this is you know, <laughs> David and Alexis. This is going to take a while. Okay. It is. It is. How many hours you got? Um, so, I mean, and honestly, it depends on the day because here's how it's gone. When we started this podcast, I was like, you're going to ask who my favorite character is or my favorite Rose family member. And it's going to be David. And I just... There's so many things that I love about David. But then as we're talking about the show, I'm like, no, it's Alexis. <laughs> so I've already changed my mind twice since we've started. Okay. Um, so I can I can give lots of reasons for both of them. Uh, but I, those two siblings, uh, gosh darn it. Yeah. Just yeah. amazing. Amazing. M- Moira is obviously amazing. I, you know what? I, 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 all of them. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Remember, I started there. <laughs> you didn't make it clear. That was not a gotcha. You forgot, Moira. No, you listed the whole Rose family. <laughs> Uh, I think for me, Stevie's definitely up there, and I think Stevie was the real key into the show for me and her relationship uh, with David. Um, but I, Alexis is really, really powerful to me because uh, they're all so incredibly unique, uh, it, but they, and great at playing the archetypes. It's amazing to see Eugene Levy play this in- incredibly dry, uh, sort of uh, straight person, mm. but still be really funny in his. Uh, in his slow burns in those few moments like I love the through line of him uh, doing impressions that's like great Eugene Levy comedy from other Eugene Levy Levy performances of thinking he can do a good uh, you know imitation of JFK and Mm -hmm. but for the most part just absolutely being this just all-star you know uh, straight person supporting everybody else's comedy while still being funny himself yeah Um, and obviously Moira playing this great take on the theatrical thespian actress diva uh, in the wigs and all that. And and uh, David is great at playing the, like, I'm into fashion and I'm really particular and I'm always cranky and I get upset easily, but I'm also very sensitive. Like, there's all sorts of great stuff going on. I think uh, Alexis, for me, is just something that I've, is it is a starting with the stereotype of the party girl uh, who's really into the now, who knows everything about Instagram stories and marketing and you know, has been to every fancy party, but just the physical performance, the way that actor Annie Murphy physicalized it. Um, I believe she said that she, trying to come up with it. She was like, well, whenever you see a picture of a person like this, they're holding a little purse. And like, what if her hands was, were always like that, but she didn't have a purse. <laughs> so Alexis has these strange, like almost sort of like little T-Rex hands, you know? <laughs> and the way that, she manages to be both that like I'm a party girl who kind of only cares about myself, but then that starts to change 
and she still has all the same mannerisms. She still sort of like flips her hair and kind of gives people that like little weird knowing nods and the little weird winks. Mm-hmm. But they suddenly change from like, I'm just posing for a selfie and I don't care about you to actually being meaningful mm-hmm. in kind within yeah. that same body language and the way the little nose boop, which also started off as a like, I'm done talking to you or whatever, uh, and grows into like this, like the most honest emotional way I can reach out to you is to boop your nose. <laughs> yeah. And just so much came out of the weird physical choices yeah. of uh, that actor. Yeah, you know, and, and for me, what is the the line of the show of you, David? <laughs> it's just she says it so often when she's just grossed out by something he did. Mm-hmm. Said. So yeah, so uh, that's my Alexis rant. Mm, I love it. Yay! Yeah. Uh, all right. Unless you have any other characters to add to listing most of the characters. No, no. I mean, I I I absolutely agree with everything that you said about Alexis, and um, you know, with with David, I think it's both the like for me that you know what's coming, but you also sometimes don't. And just to see, um, I think uh, without even realizing what kind of um, what you said earlier about kind of, he's one who tries to put down roots first. And just that sense of he is both so incredibly judgmental Mm -hmm. while wanting absolute acceptance from everybody else, but he also does have that acceptance side and just seeing that kind of push-pull. It's like he wears all those sweaters that are black and white, and it's like he has his own, you know, yin and yang that he's always kind of trying to fight with and watching that struggle play out with gestures. Um, I And just the, the balance in the relationship between him and... Alexis, yeah, uh, I think he is that, actually one of perhaps my one of my favorites is the sibling relationship there between the two of them. Yeah, they get to be some really tender moments where they work through that they grew up in this really different way where they're really rich and really privileged, but their parents weren't around, and times where they were really worried about one another or weren't there for one another, and now they get to be and all that. But then within that, just kind of that day to day too of like that great thing of they are adult siblings acting like eight year olds who have to share a room <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> just that kind of like God, you know being in the bathroom or you know wearing the wrong clothing for one another or you know yeah, yeah. it's yeah. it's just, that sibling thing it was just so great that's one of those like the ongoing jokes that are just like yeah i just want to kind of live in the town and just watch them bicker you know right uh it's great <laughs> um let's talk about oh i wanted to say about david yeah i think you make a really good point i think that's part of what what's powerful about him being the forward moving guy is, you know, they're all upset at, at different points mm-hmm. and all self-involved at different points. Mm-hmm. But it a lot of the comedy comes from David getting really upset because something is not the way he wants it to be. Mm-hmm. And then that gives great depth that he's the one who's like, okay, well, I'll find some a person to connect with. Okay, well, I'll get a job. <laughs> I'll start a business, you know, and then he actually starts doing things, mm-hmm. you know, and that's great on, in the way in a way to see the person who complains the mo- most about not having things the way he wants actually doing things to get things to be closer to the way he wants. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we talked favorite characters. Yep. Do you have any favorite uh, one specific joke, a favorite ongoing bit, a favorite scene, anything like that? Yes. All right. Let's hear them. <laughs> Moira and her babies. Uh, which would be her wigs. Uh, I love it. I love her. I love the wigs just, oh my gosh, all throughout. But then just her love and attention and her referring to them as her babies. Yeah. Uh, I just, I love it. 
Yeah. So, what you have you worn wigs for shows? I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think of that? What do you think it says about her character that those were like the things that she valued the most that she needed to rescue in, at the very last minute? You know, <laughs> is they got kicked out of their rich palatial home and they could only take a tiny amount of stuff that she needed these. Yeah. And that, you know, there's no pretense that they're not wigs and she, you know, puts them on like they're part of her outfit every day and kind of faces the world that way. Absolutely. What do you think that says about the character? I mean, I think it fits so much with with the way that, that she dresses as well. She is still being who she was before this financial and location change in her <laughs> life, in their lives. And part of that being who who she was is wearing these outfits that to some people would be outlandish, but to her are her outfits. And part of the outfit is the the wig as much as the shoes would be a part of the outfit for somebody. Yeah. Um, so I, I absolutely love that. And I will just say for myself, like I have been in shows where I've asked if there was any chance I could keep the wig. Uh, <laughs> and because I've had been lucky enough to have some very nice wigs um, that I was like, yeah, I want to have a brunette wig and a, you know, platinum blonde wig that I can just throw on whenever. And they're like, a, no. B, these are like $2,000 a piece wigs, Sarah, so doubly no. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think there's, there is that great power in, uh, you know, the I I am who I am, and I think it's great. And if you don't realize it, that's your problem. So, I mean, I, you know, she's out there going thinking, I am making a great statement, and maybe this time we'll see how great fashion is and maybe catch up. Um, but there's also that just like... Uh, it is nice to see somebody who is 100% confident that their aesthetic is right for them. You know, yeah. it, it's, it, it is definitely about like, I dress up for, you know, to make appearances because I'm an actor. There, there are those jokes. But it also just feels like she is in a platinum blonde mood that it's not just about what goes with the outfit. It's just like, almost like emotionally, I, this is what I need today. This is the part of me that I need to express Oh, yeah. And I think there's something to me that's really uh, that I connect to, even though I mostly wear exactly the same thing. (laughs) And then every once in a while, make a big change with a slightly different coat or new (laughs) jeans. Uh, I dress like a cartoon character for the most part that has the same thing in their closet. But I think I relate to that part of um, uh, of the truth of who human beings can be of like I have many different like moods and energies that feel like within me within the umbrella of me there's lots of different sort of faces yeah and and the the wigs is like great weird you know exotic rich person comedy but also that just like that like she's multifaceted yeah yeah and i think you make a great a great point and i um it clarifies um because i know i said it as like part of the outfit but i i actually don't mean it that um that lightly because I feel like they are just the way that she sees them as they are just part of her. Yeah. They're an extension of her. I, I feel like she kind of sees her clothes that way that too. Yeah. But I think the wigs even more that that's it's, I don't feel like it's a, I'm putting on the pink wig today to see if you can handle it. Shit's Creek choir rehearsal. Um, I feel like it's very much, this is her today. 
Yeah, the, and they it's feel an extension like, of her inner psyche. Yeah, yeah, they feel almost like enchanted objects that have a little sliver of her soul in them. Yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, that is a great uh, ongoing bit. Uh, I think for me, just a real specific one. It's in, I think, the second season, uh, Moira's wine commercial, uh, <laughs> where she, she just can't say any things and get just gets hammered. And uh, Catherine O'Hara is one of those performers again who just can take something that's like yes the comedy of this is obvious on the page a million people have seen a an actor gets a little tipsy and screws something up and she's one of those actors who's just like how can i make it incredibly eccentric and surprising and just is howlingly funny yeah. and i think that's one of like the examples of like i i can't she needs an emmy for these three minutes you yeah. know uh kind of comedy performance for me uh the commitment to calling some things baby including <laughs> actual babies that was that moment of like there this show has such solid foundation that she can just be a sketch comedy character like that Mm -hmm. could be a whole bad sketch from saturday night live of the lady who calls things baby (laughs) but it's so ingrained in everything else that it just it it works uh so well um the 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 person who owns the garage bob Mm -hmm. it's never called out Nothing is ever really is never explained. No one, I don't think, ever mentions it. But his weird little run over, his little like Bob, oh, Bob yeah. the, you know, he's got that little. He, his his l- arms move back jaunt. and forth. And yeah. He does a little. He does a little jaunt over. Yeah, and it, it's it's this very specific jaunt. It's this almost like it's like you have kind of a um, a science teacher who's like really into it, and you're like, I got a question. So they almost kind of want to make a show of it that they're bouncing over to answer your question because they so enjoy being a science teacher. Yeah. And they almost like want to show the room that like, uh, I'm I'm good humored and I'm walking over here. And like mm-hmm. he's got that weird like and he, he's a well-written character of being really, really funny, uh, like friendly. But then every once in a while, the kind of the gate drops and he's not OK with something. Yeah. But he just he got that kind of like I'm always bemused and I'm always happy to shuffle and jaunt over here. And it's, yeah. just, it's just in the walk. It's just in that choice. And it is so unique and hilarious, but also like recognizable of like um, I feel like most people watching are like, I, I know I've seen somebody do exactly that before yeah. in real life. Yeah, that is such a good thing to call out because that's so true and I had totally forgotten about it. Yeah. 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 Lovely. So uh, I could go on and on uh, with yes. fun uh, favorite uh, comedy moments. The one line, because we watched season six uh, over the past couple of days pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. You can gobble these up. And the one line, just like written line that absolutely killed me is uh, when Moira is upset and she's having a hard time with the faucet getting it <laughs> to be the right temperature. <laughs> and uh, Johnny is great, uh, good the deadpan comedy is like well you gotta mix the hot and the cold water which is super funny by itself mm-hmm. and then she's a, uh moira yells i'm not an alchemist <laughs> <laughs> so great and beautifully yeah. uh, over the top mm. um would you want to be friends with any of the roses in real life yes <laughs> all right who I know all you- of them <laughs> damn it uh, you got to choose. You have to choose. I have to choose. Yeah. Wow. Well, oh, put it this way. Put okay. it this way. Uh, you are going on a road trip. Okay. And uh, the, the the roses, for elaborate reasons, have to be split up in four cars. Okay. And you are one of the cars, and you have to take a rose with you on a road trip. Am, I'm a car, or I'm a person in the car You're going the driver on... in the car. Oh, I don't know. That's a whole different thing about it, being the driver. <laughs> um, I'm going to okay. go with Alexis. Oh, really? Why? Mm-hmm. Um, 
Well, she's, if we're going on a road trip, she's used to doing lots of traveling. She knows how to get out of hostage situations. <laughs> um, she's zipped a friend into a suitcase before. So, um, no, I, 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 was, I was leaning Alexis anyway. Okay. Um, do, I mean, do, you, do you, I mean, the roses are in some ways meant to be extremely relatable because we get to find their humanity, but also mm-hmm. the lives they've lived. That's a lot of where the comedy comes from, as they have lived these very different lives because they've been incredibly rich and successful. Mm-hmm. But do you do you find yourself relating to Alexis the most? Um, no, <laughs> <laughs> no. I think I just feel like that she would be that she would be the one I'd want to go on the road trip with. Moira is the one I would want to go to a cocktail party with. Okay. Um, like I, you know, it depends on the situation. I feel like if I'm, especially if I'm the driver, like um, David's going to j- yell too much and I'm going to not be a good driver. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean to leave uh, Johnny Rose out. I feel like I have not been giving him adequate um, time. Yeah. Well, I, I'll drive Johnny Rose. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Who would you choose? Yeah, I mean, you make really good points about Alexis always has her phone out and is a great, uh, great at traveling and, you know, is great at solving problems. Yeah, yeah. Plus, I think she would enjoy like a random detour if I like if I was not her driver, but we were going together. Yeah. And it was like, hey, there's a cool thing over here. Let's go check it out. I feel like she would be totally down for that. Right. And she would go and take good selfies yeah, <laughs> with you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I'll take Johnny. Why not? Yeah. yeah. So why? Yeah, um, I think because he, uh, I feel like a part of the subtle comedy of Johnny is he is the um, he's the the load bearing Rose. He's you know mm-hmm. uh, the one who is kind of just trying to hold it all together. You know, it's I think it's part of his history is like he's the business guy. He's the the one who feels responsible to get them out of this situation mm-hmm. but also just in kind of in holding the family together he's a lot one who like will call lots of meetings and that kind of thing but there's some great scenes with him where he feels like one of these guys who had success got rich there's a funny thing about him writing the book about his successful uh vhs store franchise and then fell into this world where you must never talk about anything but the surroundings of being a rich corporate guy mm-hmm. like that he's used to talking about nothing but golf and maybe you know the superior mileage on your jet or you know this exact restaurant in morocco and he seems like this like person who is well-meaning wants to get things done is is pretty open-minded about you know working with people pretty early on mm-hmm. and then just often just doesn't know what the hell to say to people yeah so I feel like a a road trip with Johnny Rose would be like the ultimate test of my conversational skills, <laughs> of my podcasting skills to kind of draw out like, what do you want to talk about? You know, what are what do you, what do you truly I know you care about your family. And I know you care about business and I know you have some hobbies here and there. But, you know, what drives you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I can picture a nice like finger tapping on the dashboard silence while he tries to figure out whether or not he's going to answer. Yeah, yeah. And like, radio? Should we turn on the radio? Yeah, right. Yep. Lots yeah. of, a lot of that nice, stuff. Nice, nice. Um, what do you think is the appeal of the just the quirky small town show? Uh, there's a ton of quirky small town shows. In our household, mm-hmm. you know, we have loved Gilmore Girls. I'm a diehard uh, Twin Peaks fan. And for the original run, 
uh, Twin Peaks is this weird mix of uh, terrifying avant-garde uh, demon realm, uh, horror show, murder mystery, and quaint uh, comedy with uh, lots of uh, quirky, uh, lovable town folk. Yeah. Uh, what do you think is the appeal of the quirky town folk television show? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think there's certainly th- just the idea of, you know, it's like taking the idea of Cheers and turning it into a town. It's the place where everybody knows your name. Um, and I think there is an I- idea that gets played with in a lot of different shows, uh, a lot of different small town shows of do people just accept you because it's a small town and you're, you know, you're Ruth and that's who Ruth is. Right. And we just accept that. Um, versus is it not, uh, you know, versus like, is there kind of a, that push pull of how much can you be yourself? Are you actually under a microscope? So I think there's, there's that kind of charm of, I, I mean, I think like the, it's like the charm of the diner. Like you want to go into the diner and know the, know who is running the diner yeah, and they'll Twilight. know like exactly um so i feel like that's um there's a comfort in it especially yeah. for people who maybe haven't lived in small towns and want to picture what an ideal small town would be but also they don't live in them so they can leave at any time <laughs> um so i think i think that's one one element that's yeah. part one yeah i'm gonna make a strange connection to uh, apocalypse shows <laughs> to things like The Walking Dead um, or honestly Lost I think mm. that there is this similar charm in that the majority of us I think even people who live in actual small towns there is this just emotional clutter in a lot of our lives and minds of all of these choices to make mm-hmm. and I think shows sometimes f- for horror or drama like Walking Dead and Lost or sometimes for for comedy uh like in drama like Gilmore Girls or Schitt's Creek create a world of simplicity yeah and there's something like I've that I don't think I've ever said this out loud but I think it every time we watch Schitt's Creek of like I have this strange jealousy of like what if I just lived in a small room I could only have so many things and then when I was hungry I went to the diner or I got pizza at the one pizza place and I didn't need to make any other choices And that just simplicity, there's the comfort of everybody knows your name, Mm -hmm. but there's also the the sort of the comfort of having just the utter tangle of decisions of how to use our time. You know, if you're lucky enough to have lots of friends, who do you spend time with? Or if you're lucky enough to do lots of things in your life, which activity do I want to do? And like to have some of that Mm -hmm. boiled down to just this more sort of a, a simple. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think absolutely. I think that's a great point. Yeah. Um, And, you know, commutes aren't interesting TV. (laughs) Commutes aren't interesting TV at all. Uh, Yeah, but I also take your point of, I think a lot of the shows have the show acceptance, you know, in in a way, uh, in small towns that is so great of just like, as you were saying, like, when the log lady gets introduced on Twin Peaks, it's like, uh, yeah, she always carries a log. It's a log lady. That's just, we all know her, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think the Shit's Creek has that too of like, oh yeah, that's that's this weird person. Like, yeah, everybody just accepts that. You know, mm-hmm. the joke early on that um, Roland's son Mutt is, you know, just ridiculously stereotypically attractive. Mm-hmm. You know, when Chris Elliott's been playing the joke of playing Roland shit is the most you know stereotypically unattractive possible, and he's got this blazingly hot son. Everybody's like, yeah, 
what? And just that, that I think even when it's a joke, there is just that air of acceptance mm-hmm. in the small town. Yeah. If that's the way it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is uh, powerful. Does watching the show ever make you want to stay in a motel? Ooh. Um. Oh, ooh. Um. <laughs> no, <I> do. <laughs> <laughs> I've turned into Moira. I can't make no. words. It, um, yes and no. Okay. I think I I think I've always had like a push pull with motels um of there's a part of them that feels romantic and there's a part of them that feels scary because of either lack of cleanliness or other people. Yeah. Um and I feel like this brings out all of the elements. So parts of it are like, yeah, and other parts are like, no way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's my complicated answer. Yeah. I don't know. I, I yes. I I have been in some horrifying uh, motels, but I think they there is. I'm drawn more to the romance of them and mm-hmm. the tr- kind of truth of their uh, genesis of being a part. This weird offshoot of this American dream of freeways and cars and freedom, mm-hmm. and then as a result, we get these weird sort of roadside motels where. You know, in a way, it's like they don't have to be fancy because the people traveling by probably don't have a ton of money and they probably don't have a ton of choice. Like they need to sleep somewhere or they're out of gas. And congratulations, this is your choice, period. Yeah. Those kinds of old school uh, motels, there is a sort of a romance in them that they're they're this weird, slightly maybe nightmarish sometimes, maybe slightly (laughs) sometimes just romantic and charming but they are this strange offshoot of this great dream of freedom yeah from zipping along the freeway from state to state in your car with no one to stop you you know yeah and i will say since this is a largely canadian show i have stayed in some very nice which i don't by very nice i do not mean like anything other than what a motel we think is um motels in canada that do have that feeling of like yeah that it's this motel or that motel that is the choice it's another four hours to the next town it's dark and yeah you don't have gas so a option a or option b they probably look the same on the inside yeah um but yeah it is but i uh yeah yeah i think i have a romance <laughs> and i yeah i, I think when i did a tour uh doing a shakespeare show there was my my friend and i that i uh stayed with um stayed in what we would call the uh the bloody lamp room because we were pretty sure there was blood splattered across the lamp we did a show in northern minnesota uh that we did with our wonderful friends uh jim and dennis and i remember the walls being just paper thin to the point where we had to acknowledge it to one another yep <laughs> like you you're we're gonna know when we get ready for bed because we're gonna hear zippers like basically we could have a conversation through the wall as though we were sitting right next Absolutely to each other. Absolutely paper yep. thin. Yeah. 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 So I think there's, yeah, there's just, there's even the horrible things about them. There's like strange charm in them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, I think there's also just for me that uh, I have that push pull of I am a collector. I, I like stuff, but I like that forced strip down. Yeah. 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 Uh, I got a couple other questions for you. We mm-hmm. talked a, a lot about Moira's wigs. Alexis also has a great collection of uh, dresses. Yes, she does. Uh, I, it does. It is, you know, 
a, a absolute horror that we haven't mentioned this more on the podcast. But of course, David has all of his super weird fun sweaters. Yes, you mentioned them, but like, yeah, the not only the black and white uh, design, but sometimes they just you know say funny weird things or. There's that one that's just a giant hand. Yeah. <laughs> I kept waiting for someone to high-five his sweater all episode. Right. Um, and I, I have to also acknowledge how much I enjoy his pants that are half tight and half baggy, <laughs> which show up a lot, like a few different yeah. versions or interpretations of that. Yeah, they're part Love of it. his just weird energy with that I, great hair. Yeah. Yeah. So the, uh, a lot of the Rose family, and then I like that Johnny just has his like one really nice sensible suit. suit that's really sharp. That he keeps wearing. Like I, in fact, was during season six at some point kind of just, um, he was just sitting like on the bed in the motel in his sho- suit with his shoes on. And I was just like, you look at you like you're still yeah yeah six years later i mean i I think in their timing it's like three years or whatever but still you are wearing your suit this is what you do when you're working and you're working so you're wearing your suit <laughs> even though right now you're relaxing with your family and yep it's just yeah. all suit all the time it's so great yeah. um but so outside of johnny the rest of the roses all have kind of collections yes if you were gonna have an eccentric collection like mm, that yeah what would you want <laughs> Oh, how long do you thing this podcast to be? <laughs> um, wow. Like a, a thing? Yeah. Um, what do, you, mean, do you want me to throw things out or? I, well, I wear a lot of scarves. You do. So that's the thing. So um, I, here's a thing. Um, I, I, I have a lot of things. Rings. I Oh, yeah. Rings would be a good one. Bracelets. Bracelets would be a good one. Yeah. Um, just the idea of like mixing modern and vintage is is like something that I try to do anyway. Yeah. And so, I mean, how outlandish do you want me to go? I want you to go outlandish. If you were going to, if somebody's going to make a sitcom yeah. and you were going to be the inspiration for a character, how would, how would somebody exaggerate you? Ooh. Oh, that's great. Um, so my first thought was necklaces. Mm. Too many necklaces. Yeah. Lots and lots of necklaces. Shoes, which I, you know, is part of both both Alexis and Moira, but that would, you know, ridiculous boots uh, would be probably what mine would be. Um, and then, I mean, gosh, I'm awfully tempted by the wigs, but I would probably have to cut my hair. I couldn't put wigs on all this hair every day. I would go crazy. <laughs> I would sh- scream too much. Um, yeah, so I'm going to go with like lots of necklaces, um, probably jackets when it's the wrong temperature for jackets, like, um, decorative jackets, not like winter jackets, but like a nice, like, but not like a suit jacket, but you know, like a little frock jacket or something, but then it's a hundred degrees outside. Um, yeah. And then, um, different shoes for every day. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. You, you do have a shoe collection. (laughs) Right, that could be exaggerated in yes. in fun ways. Yes, yeah, that's very good. That's yeah. very good. Uh, I think I would just have different iterations of the same black outfit uh, in there. It would be like a big deal. Like the town would be shocked when I switched to a slightly different black jacket. Yeah, I would like to see one for you that like has like a. <laughs> I was going to say a zipper up the back, and then that sounds a little bit too much like a straight jacket, which is not what I mean. 
but you know, like instead of like a zipper, but like a like you get into it and then you zip up the back. Oh yeah, yeah, would, yeah like a a zip up uh, jacket hoodie combo. Yeah, like it on the front, it's all like sweatshirt with a little bit of a bulky around the neck, but then it's got like a, one of those chunky zippers up the back. Yeah, yeah, it's crept into my daily wear a little bit, but I did it on purpose for like fun stuff I wanted to wear at conventions, particularly if I was performing at you know uh, any sort of pop culture convention of like. I really prefer genre shirts that are just like one statement, like a logo. Mm-hmm. Bam. I don't like the busy, like here's a movie poster that's spread out. And you, in order for people to see the whole thing, really, you have to straighten out your shirt and ask them to stare at your belly button in order for them to fully see what's on, you know, the big sprawling t-shirt. I don't like those mm-hmm. uh, for myself. So that would, could be a thing too. And for a while they were all red. I was trying to find ones that were red because I like wear my red converse and mm-hmm. otherwise black. And then the red thing, uh, so that would be fun too, of just like every uh, show there's a different red logo. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would be great. On Joseph Rose. Um, <laughs> what, if any, Shits Creek merch would you want in our home? Ooh. It could be real or imagined because I haven't done all the research on what actually exists. I don't know. Some of Moira's wigs from this last season. <laughs> <laughs> you want some babies hanging on our uh, wall? I, I want to wear them. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, I guess I know what you're getting for Christmas. <laughs> and then they could hang on our wall. Um, I did used to have a like a styrofoam head that I put. I had some antique cats yeah. that lived on the head. So actually, that would be I, I'll, I'll, antique cats. I'll throw that one on my oh, yeah. on mine also. Um, okay. Other merch. Ooh, um, Shower curtain? God, what would be on it? The, the Rose family. <laughs> I'd consider that. Okay. Or the Rosebud Motel. Oh, yeah. I would love a Rosebud Motel coffee book. Like, it, the coffee book is, like, made to be really nice, but then it's, like, got all the, the damage. <laughs> yes, and I would love it to show each room yes. in the motel. Oh, my gosh. With a description of each room. Yes. Like, who stayed there, hasn't, or when it got cleaned or didn't. Um, okay, this is one that I just plain actually like. They're uh, China. Oh, my which gosh, yes. I don't remember until season six, but it's, like, this, like, slightly mod... Um, like the little coffee squares. cups of squares and like a little geometric, like not, it's like a squiggle. Yeah. Uh, I would absolutely just use that as, um, for, you know, drinking my tea. Yeah. Let's get, let's find those. Let's track those down. Yeah. 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 Um, I feel like a few of the sweaters that David wore, I have since seen in stores. <laughs> um, so there's that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, here is kind of a random thing i would get a t-shirt for uh ted's veterinary clinic oh yeah ted is so great i think and, mm-hmm. and yet another like let's take a very straightforward uh sort of comedy archetype of the really nice really well-meaning guy and just give it a ton of fresh perspective and a ton of life and it works really really well yeah yeah ted is great uh, obviously patrick is great don't yes wanna... yes yes we cannot leave yeah. Patrick. honestly a lot of the stuff they sell at rose apothecary <laughs> <laughs> You just want to shop at Rose Apothecary. I kind of do, yeah. And and then I want one of those wood tables, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. There's some great uh, woodwork going on as yes. well. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Ah. Patrick has very good taste. Patrick has great taste. Mm-hmm. His apartment is lovely. It is. Yeah, I'd love to be able to hire Patrick to uh, help us out with our apartment. Yeah, like he's got those little end tables that are like big hewn off pieces of log yeah. oh, it's yeah. so great so great uh yeah not surprisingly i, I would be happy to get some action figures 
<laughs> if you could have one black T-shirt that had something red on it. Ooh, yeah, the Rosebud Motel logo. Yeah, I would love that because I love those things that are kind of could be from literally inside the world. Yeah. You know? Yeah, right? Yeah. Like I yeah. have a, a Twin Peaks uh, Sheriff's Department T-shirt that looks like it could just be, you know, from their company picnic or their right? you know, the sheriff's picnic. <laughs> yeah. Like I would love some matchbooks for the Rosebud Motel. Oh my gosh. Yes. You know, and some of this might exist. So might. Uh, let's, you know, start well, to wrap up the podcast so I can Google this <laughs> stuff. Uh, if you watch nothing in the general you, if a, a person, a human mm-hmm. watched nothing but Shit's Creek for 24 hours straight, what do you think is the effect? <laughs> I think that, um, some words would be pronounced interestingly, and there would be interestingly, a, <laughs> interest <Tarrant Hauntedly, laughs> and I think there would be a lot of um, Alexa-style hand gestures. Yeah, yeah, I think that uh, there would be a general sense of uh, both confusion and joy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I think that that's ultimately for me. They get a lot of comedy out of there is conflict every episode. Somebody is pretty upset every episode uh but it is still overall just so joyful mm-hmm. yeah uh would you like to make a noise to sum up your interest in Shit's creek Boop. <laughs> that is perfect uh let's rate our obsession level for on a scale of one to ten one being the lowest ten being the highest how obsessed do you think you are with Shit's creek yeah, I mean, I would say right now, I mean, having just talked about it and, and finished season six, I'm I'm at like a eh, seven and a half, eight, <laughs> somewhere nice. in there. I was going to say eight, then I was not so, but I would say in general, um, maybe like a six or seven. Yeah. like I, I, And part of it is just like, I really like it. I'm just kind of trying to balance a lot of things, as you often point out. Yeah, yeah. Yourself. No, and I think that, I, I agree. I think, um, yeah, we, we've watched the series through one time. We haven't watched it 800 times. Like some people, we can't uh, always, meant, you know, remember specific episodes and specific seasons. Um, so we are not by any means stone cold experts. Uh, but as we've discussed many times on the podcast, Obsessed, interest level is not dictated by knowledge necessarily. Uh, it's just one uh, facet of obsession. I think for me, I'm going to continue to be obsessed by it because they're just little moments that have wiggled their way into my heart and just those moments of charm. Mm -hmm. But as I really think about comedy and what's happening with comedy and where I think comedy might go, where I would be interested in comedy going, uh, there are a lot of shows I love. I think 30 Rock is a successful like cartoon on air. Like mm-hmm. a live action cartoon, which is fascinating. I think <laughs> Parks and Rec was another one of the shows that really broke the mold of uh, likable characters can still be really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, the the Good Place is an amazing uh, accomplishment of combining uh, a, a lot of those factors as well, but a- along with all of this, like really actually super valuable life philosophy and perspective and all that yeah but there's just something so unique and weird and impossible about Shit's Creek that <laughs> in some ways I think I'm the most obsessed with it because it it touches me personally on uh on multiple levels yeah yeah, yeah. I can see that so I'll go with Did an eight you... okay yeah <laughs> short answer is eight <laughs> lovely monologue give yourself a score <laughs> I asked for a number not a monologue <laughs> damn it uh, we're going to do some plugs, and then we'll do our final questions. Uh, where can people find you on social media? You can find me on Instagram at Scrim Street. Excellent. You can and should. 
Uh, here are some quick plugs for this show, and then we'll do those final questions. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram is at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can follow Obsessed Podcast on Twitter and Facebook is at Obsessed Podcast. You can also check out the Star Wars podcast I co-host. That is called Force Center. For info on all my upcoming shows and comedy albums and stuff, you can check out my website at josephscrimshaw.com. You can support Obsessed by backing us on Patreon. Full info on that, go to patreon.com slash josephscrimshaw. And, of course, we also want to uh, stay political, so we've got those Senate runoff elections coming on January 5th. Uh, If you want to support both of the two candidates for Senate, uh, the Democratic candidates, you can go to fairfight.com and uh, donate to both of them at once. Or you can write some letters for voteforward.org. These kind of have a tight turnaround time. It's, we're recording this. It's uh, already coming up. It's the, the deadline for sending those letters is December 7th, 2020. I am uh, enjoying writing letters. So if you would like to write some letters to uh, help inform people about getting out to vote in Georgia, you can do that at voteforward.org. All right. Okay. Did, did I say everything correctly? Yes. Uh, maybe I'm just going to clarify. Vote forward is vote fwd.org yeah yes yeah what did i say oh you 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 just didn't spell it oh i didn't spell okay (laughs) what did i say you said vote for it you were you were perfect (laughs) i'm just adding fluff oh good yeah Yeah. please yeah i'm adding sprinkles put some pizzazz on there (laughs) that was pizzazz pizzazz hands pizzazz hands (laughs) instead of jazz hands i've got pizzazz hands (laughs) all right here are final questions if you could transform into an animal during the full moon, what animal would you be and what would you do? Ooh, um, I would be an owl. Ooh, yeah, good choice. What would you Thank do with you. your owl time? I would uh, hoot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I suddenly couldn't remember what it's like. What, what do we call that? What do owls say? Hoot. Carburetor? No, that's not right. <laughs> hoot. Um, I would fly around and enjoy the um the extra bright light of the full moon and then also you know like hmm. land quietly where people didn't expect there to be an owl and be like hoo, hoo. <laughs> and they'd be like oh. i'd scare people apparently that's what i'm saying I'd yeah scare people. i think you know owls probably don't mean to do it but their their <laughs> stare looks so judgmental it would be really fun to be just fly around and then you know see if somebody's behaving in a way <laughs> you feel they shouldn't yeah and, and land just near turn your just head like, slowly turn your owl head at them like what are you doing talk about side eye (laughs) big owl side eye uh if for one day it rains something other than water what would you want it to rain Ooh, that's a fun question good (laughs) can't think of other things it would rain though um i would like it to rain um pine needles Ooh, why because it would smell really good (laughs) A little painful, but probably good smell, right? I mean, I'm I'm picturing like a gentle rain, not a thunderstorm. Okay, they aren't driving down like yeah, little pine like, daggers. They're they're floating down. Okay, it's yeah. a, a light pine rain. Yeah, yeah, well, I can smell it already. I can't wait to see the <laughs> owl drift through the pine storm. <laughs> Final question: Every episode is, what is happiness? Happiness is finding your own home within a roadside motel. Oh, that is a great answer, a particularly great answer for all times, but this episode in particular. Thank you very much. That is our podcast. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. Okay, so in season six, which we've just been watching, 
uh, there have been a few giant laugh out loud pause moments. Um, any of those you want to share? Oh, yeah. I, there there were so many that I had a hard time like remembering them all. So I like committed a couple to memory. And <laughs> one of them was that alchemist line we talked about. But the other one was the character Jocelyn, which we didn't talk about a lot. I really like Jocelyn. I, she's one of those characters who looks like she's going to be kind of one thing, but then she keeps, uh, uh, you know, unveiling more and more uh, depth. And I love in the later seasons where she's kind of stressed and just really <laughs> needs some help, uh, needs some people to work with her. Uh, so she's super funny to me. And I just, it was one of those just little things of they went over uh, to the uh, shit's house for uh, for dinner. And she said, here, here they are, my sloppy Jocelyn's. <laughs> It's one of those things that makes perfect sense. It's a just a fun, quirky thing that somebody has a name close to Joe, so they would rename food. Mm-hmm. But it, at this, uh, at the same time, just sounds so weird. <laughs> <laughs> Sloppy Jocelyn's. 